Just imagine the mightiest heroes of our time. All of them on one team. The Fire and Water Network proudly presents JLU Cast. Hello and welcome to JLU Cast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network covering the Justice League Unlimited animated series. I'm one of your hosts, Cindy Franklin. And I'm Chris Franklin, and we're here for episode two of Justice League Unlimited and an adaptation of one of the greatest Superman stories ever told for the man who has everything. The story was originally presented in Superman Annual Number 11 on sale June 20, 1985, written by Alan Moore and drawn by Dave Gibbons, a year before their opus, Watchmen, began publication. We won't go into details on the comic at the moment since the adaptation is very faithful for the most part, but we have reread the comic and will compare and contrast the two versions a bit as we go along. For The Man Who Has Everything originally aired August 7, 2004, Written by J.M.D. Mateus, adapted from a story by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, directed by Dan Ribba, with music by Lolita Ritmanis. In the cast, we had George Newbern as Superman, Susan Eisenberg as Wonder Woman, Kevin Conroy as Batman, Eric Roberts as Mongol, Dana Delaney as Loana, and no, I did not say that wrong, Mike Farrell as Paul Kent, and yes, he's in here, uh, Josh Hutcherson as Van Ale, and Christopher McDonald as Jor-El. Batman and Wonder Woman arrive at Superman's Fortress of Solitude bearing gifts for the Man of Steel's birthday. But they find Superman has already received a present, a plant that has somehow attached itself to his body and left him comatose. Mongol emerges, telling the heroes it was he who sent Superman the Black Mercy, a plant that grants the person it bonds to with their heart's desire. With Earth's defender off the table, Mongol believes he is free to conquer Earth. Wonder Woman has other ideas, and the two begin to battle throughout the fortress. Batman attempts to snap his friend out of his catatonic state, but Superman is trapped in a wonderful fantasy realm where he lives on a Krypton that never exploded, on a farm with his wife Loana, son Van El, and puppy Crypto. While Batman continues to beg Superman to come to and help a badly beaten Wonder Woman, Kal-El begins to notice tremors on Krypton. He visits his father Jor-El, who brushes the quakes off, despite his old theories about Krypton's impending doom years ago. As Batman begins to pull the plan off of Superman, in his mind, Kal-El witnesses Krypton's destruction and comes to the realization that all of this, including his beloved son Van, isn't real. He says a tearful goodbye to his boy while Batman frees him from the Black Mercy. It attaches itself to Batman's body and suddenly the Dark Knight is an eight-year-old Bruce Wayne in Crime Alley once again. But this time, Thomas Wayne stops the gunman who attempts to rob them and beats him for an eternity. An enraged Superman regains consciousness and mercilessly attacks Mongol, telling him of the pain and torture he has put him through. Meanwhile, a battered Wonder Woman crawls to Batman and begins trying to free him. As his epic slugfest with Mongol continues, Superman comes close to delivering a killing blow, but is temporarily distracted by the statues of Jor-El and Lara. Mongol seizes the opportunity to turn the tables on his foe. He's about to finish the Man of Steel when Wonder Woman calls from the floor above, and drops the Black Mercy on its owner. The plant bonds with the madman, and he too succumbs to its power. The heroes wonder what Mongol's fantasy is like, but Batman relates, whatever it is, it's too good for him. They walk away, while in his mind, Mongol lives out his dream of endless death and conquest. Oof. Uh, so I bought Superman Annual Number 11 right off the stands at Eastside Pharmacy, and even then, I knew this comic was something special. I mean, it was a cut above... Any Superman comic book I had read, I think, ever yeah. <laughs> at that point. Uh, I really liked Dave Gibbons' artwork because I had been buying Green Lantern when he and Lynn Wein were doing it. 
I had read a Green Arrow story Alan Moore wrote for Detective Comics, but I didn't really give him much notice before this. So this was kind of the first thing I was like, oh, this Alan Moore guy is pretty good. (laughs) Just a smidge. Just a smidge. Uh, I knew Mongol from the DC Comics Presents stories. Um, I had his first appearance where it's Superman and Marsh Manhunter versus him. So so you reread this. What did you think of the comic story? Honestly, I mean, to me, what was portrayed in the in the cartoon was more idyllic. Whereas in the comic, you know, there were problems in the whole from the get go. There were things that were wrong from the very beginning. Whereas in the cartoon, it was not like that. It was, you know, to me, it would have been harder to leave the cartoon fantasy world than it would have been the comic fantasy world. Right, right. Yeah, that's why I think. I mean, I'm not. I'm not in any way, you know, saying that this comic's not a classic, and I love it for what it is. But I do think you're right because. Alan Moore didn't make Krypton a very nice place to live. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had Jor-El throw in with a fanatical right-wing party, basically make Krypton great again. He had Kara Supergirl. <laughs> he had Kara Supergirl attacked. Right. You know, she. I mean, she wasn't Supergirl, but she right. was in a hospital with, and they had shaved her head to, like, patch up where she was hitting the head. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, it, it was, yeah, it was not good. Um, uh, Kal-El. Well, Jor-El was a crackpot. Yeah, Jor-El was a crackpot. Um, Kal-El was married to Lila Larrell, who was an actress that he met when he went back in time to meet his parents. Oh, okay. Uh, so he's married to her in this, in this timeline. And they also have a daughter named Orna in the comic too. So that's, well, that's- and then the grandpa can't even remember Orna's name. And I thought, you know, when he said that, I thought, well, maybe this was a new child. It was an infant. But then you see him. She's or, older than Van. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And he's still calling her the wrong name. Yeah. That's, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like he was layering in Superman trying to break out of it from the get-go. Mm. Uh, and I find it more tragic that he completely buys it at first. You know, that it, that it is exactly what he's always wanted. Mm. You know, not, it's not, it's not compromised. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it, uh, and it makes it all the more tragic when he has to say goodbye to Van. Yeah. In the, in, you know, so. I do miss Jason Todd's Robin because in the original story. Yeah. Jason Todd's, the original Earth One. Pre-punk who stole the Batmobile tires, Jason Todd's Robin, mm-hmm. is is in this story. Uh, I, lo- I mean, he uses his head. He thinks. I mean, he's, you know, Batman tries to take the easy solution. Hey, just pull it off. It'll be okay. Yeah. And that's why how he ends up getting getting it on him. And Robin's like, uh-uh, I'm using him gloves, dude. Yeah, yeah there's these gloves that, that Mongol had that yeah. he handles, you know, that he had handled it with. Yeah. I always were love, love that they're walking into the fortress in the comic. And they're out in the snow, and Robin says something like, he's got his cape pulled around him. He's like, how is she like not freezing in that outfit? And Batman looks at him and goes, think clean thoughts, chum. But, uh, yeah, he's the one that gets to take out Mongol. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, there's a part of me that would have loved to have seen Tim Drake here right. in this role. But I believe the bat embargo had already begun here. I think so. We were talking about the timing of that. Yeah, no major bat characters, but Batman himself uh, could be used moving forward. So that means no Robin, no Batgirl, and no Nightwing in Justice League Unlimited. Well, they kind of sneak Nightwing in. You blink and you miss him in the shadows. Right. Uh, We'll get to that when it eventually happens. It's way down the line. Uh, But that was because the Batman, the Mm. animated series, Mm. not the Robert Pattinson, Matt Reeves, the Batman that's coming out like, well, by the time you guys listen to this, it'll already be out. Right, As right. we record this, it's coming out in like a week or two. But the Batman that was the animated show. 
was on the WB and they wouldn't let him use any other Batman characters, main Batman characters, but Batman mm-hmm. at this point. So mm. now Wonder Woman suddenly has her invisible jet. What'd you think about that? <laughs> but where did she get it? <laughs> well, now here's the thing in Dwayne McDuffie's script for the in between direct video film that we talked about last time. Uh, that years later came out as Justice League Christ on Two Earths, Owlman, the evil version of Batman, mm-hmm. has a camouflage jet that's about stealth mode. Okay. Wonder Woman keeps it at the end, and it was supposed to then be used here on the series. Oh. Yeah. So now, in continuity, I don't know where it comes from, but there you oh. go. Okay. In the comic, Wonder Woman gets Superman a replica of the Bottle City of Candor, which at that point had been enlarged. She doesn't know that Superman already has one. Batman gives him a flower called the Krypton, which Wonder Woman gives him in the episode. episode yeah. Here, Batman just gives him a check. Yeah. Got him cash. <laughs> yeah, he cash. Yeah, he's cash, not a check. He's like, cash. You didn't give him a gift card, did you? No. Cash. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. When they discover the Black Mercy on the unconscious Superman, Batman begins examining it while Wonder Woman searches for whoever gifted it to him. Mongol enters holding a semi-unconscious Wonder Woman with one hand like a rag doll. I know. I mean, she's just like flopping, yeah. flopping around her upper body. It's just, it's really kind of disturbing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, damn. I and mean, this is Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like, ugh. it's a way to show the threat level of Mongol, you know, it's like, wow. Uh, Eric Roberts returns as Mongol and I'm glad he gets a second chance here. He was great in War World, but that episode, the episode itself. And as we pointed out, you know, Eric Roberts was also uh, Maroney in The Dark Knight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he, you know, he, I mean, hell, he's, he's in this one of the greatest animated episodes, and he's like arguably the greatest comic book movie, you know. Right. For a lot of people it is. I don't know if it's mine, but it is. It's one of, one of Oscars and things, you know, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the greatest, but obviously prestigious, you know. There you go. Perhaps the most prestigious comic book movie. I like how Batman steps in between Mongol and Wonder Woman at first. He wants to get Mongol monologuing. Yes. Or maybe that's Mongol logging. Oh. You are such a dad. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Either way, it works, and he tells them what the Black Mercy is. Right. You know, so, yeah. Batman knows how to get a villain monologuing. I mean, come on. He's got a rogues gallery of, you know, characters that always want to tell him why they're doing what they're doing. You know, you know, it's, they're... Yeah, of course. So, Wonder Woman punches Mongol and seems to either break or sprain mm-hmm. her hand. Now, that's how you sell a villain. You right. Know, between the grabbing her like a doll and, yeah. So, Well, and I like how Mongol asks, oh, are you his mate in yeah. the comic? You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's interesting, yeah. They, they don't, of course, they don't go here on... There on, in the comic at the end, she... I know, at the in, in the comic at the end, she kisses him and she's like... Yeah, and he's like, "Why don't we do this more often?" She said, "Because it's expected." Yeah, it's too obvious. It's too like, obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the New Fifty Two people didn't get that memo. No. That was too <laughs> obvious. But uh, Batman refers to Superman as Clark in this episode. You know, come on, Clark, he'll kill her. You know, over and over. Uh, versus the comic where he calls him Cal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the post-crisis Superman and nearly every media version moving forward would hone in on Clark, or at least a version of Clark being the real persona, not just an act. Mm-hmm. Superman post Earth One, post Crisis was far less Kryptonian mm-hmm. because he didn't know the Superman of Earth One remembered Krypton. He he had you know he basically downloaded 
he remembered Krypton one because he had super recall mm-hmm. and he was older when he was, you know, uh, launched into space. Yeah, he's like three ish. Yeah. Think, something like yeah. That. He was a toddler and the, or, you know, and, and then the, uh, the post crisis Superman, of course, was like born on earth. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a fetus. You know, right. uh, so, I mean, he was, he was born on earth. So, I mean, it, it makes, you know, it makes sense. So, yeah, but it, it's, it's interesting the just that, that difference. So, so, we get into Superman's fantasy, and let's talk about Loana. Uh, his fantasy is to be married to someone who looks like Lana Lang, mm-hmm. and also Mary Jane Watson, because Bruce Timm's design for Lana Lang looks like Mary Jane Watson on uh-huh. the animated series, but acts and sounds like Lois, voiced, of course, by Dana Delaney, Dana Delaney, again, mm-hmm. uh, and she has her purple eyes. Thoughts? Well, his first love, his current love together. Yeah. <laughs> and lucky for you, your first love and your current love are the same person. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that was a nice touch though. Cause you hear the way they do it too is like you hear her go, Oh, you know, cause they're in bed together. Yeah. And uh, there's some playful, like, hmm, what are they doing, you know, type things in this scene. Oh, there's, you know. Yeah, yeah. He had a happy birthday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's like, come here, you know. And, it, it, of course, it's Dave Delaney's voice, and, you yeah. know. And, and, but then she moves the pillow off her head and, like, whoa, she mm-hmm. looks like Lana, but she's got the purple eyes, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like the violet eyes. So, yeah, I thought that was that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> we get to, into, into their kitchen, and uh, Superman, cla- sorry, Cal. Steps in crypto dog poop. <laughs> or pee. Or pee, yeah. See, I think it was pee because he slipped. Oh, okay. Well, you know, he, he can slip in the other too, but. I know, but, but it was cleaned up too easy. Yeah, but he, he takes it and wipe. he takes a paper towel and wipes it and then like sticks it in this thing that's like a, it's like the, the fortress, the famous disintegration pit in the mm-hmm. fortress of the Silver Age, which I thought was, was kind of neat. Van wears, uh, appears his son Van. He wears more traditional Superman the Animated Series Kryptonian robes, mm-hmm. uh, where Clark has the, the the undersuit of the robes, but then he's got on a jacket that looks more Terran, like more, more earth, Earth-like. More yeah. Earth-like. So I, I thought that was nice. And he's a farmer, mm-hmm. so that works, yeah. Uh, Van is voiced by Josh Hutcherson, best known for the Hunger Games movies, mm-hmm. but in almost every other film our kids watch growing up. Bridge of Terabithia, mm-hmm. those Journey to the whatever movies with mm-hmm. Brendan Fraser and The Rock, and I mean... Hun, uh, uh, Zathura. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah, he was in everything. You know, he was the go-to kid actor mm-hmm. for a long time. And here he's like, you know, pretty young, obviously. Uh, I know Michael Bailey is happy that a version of Kalex shows up, although they call him Brainiac and he looks like Herbie the Robot. Right. From the Fantastic Four cartoon in the 70s that they later brought into the comics. So Cal has to remind Van that it's his responsibility to clean up after Crypto. Cal's own responsibilities will pull him back reality later in this episode oh i know but that's a that's a nice setup but yeah and again you know i love i love crypto don't get me wrong but every time i see crypto on krypton and he was named krypton there i'm, I'm named crypto on krypton i'm like that'd be like naming your dog urfo yeah <laughs> you know it's like if he comes here and you name him crypto then it makes sense. Right. But if he's there and you name him Crypto, it's just kind of weird, you know? Uh, and, of course, Crypto traditionally was on 
Krypton. Mm-hmm. And Jor-El was an ass bag and sent him into space in a rocket. <laughs> well, you know, you tried out on you I know, know but don't kid try to run on your own dog. Like, I mean, he sent the monkey and he sent Crypto. I mean, oh, yeah. but, <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry. That, that's part of that story doesn't hold up too well nowadays. We made animal lovers are like, you know, don't you send that dog into space? Uh, <laughs> the dialogue back in the fortress battle, the dialogue about the gun Wonder Woman picked up to fire at Mongol is straight from the comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is that a neuralizer? Is like, is like, oh, you should grab. You that. need a female weapon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and what she say? <laughs> Go to hell. <laughs> yeah. They the blast takes out the hell, but she mouths it. Uh huh. And in the comic, she just says, "Go to hell," and then uh-huh. just shoots the gun. But yeah. I love this story, love this episode, but in the previous episode, we established a huge army of heroes ready to go into action at a moment's notice. Why didn't Batman just ring up Jean or Green Lantern at the very least? (laughs) Because they wanted to mirror the comic. I know. You know. Well, I mean, at the time, at the time this was published, the, the comic, the Justice League was Justice League Detroit. Mm-hmm. So I kind of see they didn't have a reliable Justice League mm-hmm. to call. Who wants those guys to come to? Oh. <laughs> Shag's like, what? I uh, know. I was <laughs> like, that's not nice. Shag's going to get all upset. But no, He'll make his patty face. I mean, yeah. Oh, let's get Vixen and Gypsy to show up. That'll scare the crap out of Mongol. But I mean, here you can call in Green Lantern, Dr. Fate, Jean himself. You know, I mean. Uh, it, so, I mean, but it. I know you can't, again, we said that in the last episode, you can't go there or it, every story like, we'll have an army of heroes just show up and there'll be no development, no, no the plot will be resolved within two Moments, seconds. Yeah. yeah, two seconds, yeah, so, uh, but I, I have to bring that up. Uh, in Superman's fantasy world, he and Van visit Jor-El in the not-shrunken Candor. In the story, it had been already taken. It, yeah. There was a spot where Candor was. Uh, Jor-El is voiced again by Christopher McDonald, who played him on Superman the Animated Series. He also voiced an older Superman on Batman Beyond's The Call, which introduced the Justice League Unlimited, which we we'll, should be covering at the end of the season. He is probably best known to geeks as Shooter McGavin in Happy Gilmore and Commander Castillo in The Next Generation's Excellent Yesterday's Enterprise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Creators slip in a very clever visual Easter egg. The older Jor-El's face looks exactly like the season one design of Superman everyone hated because he looked too old with those big old cheekbones. (laughs) Having noticed more tremors in Kandor, Cal points them out to his father on a seismic map. And uh, Jor-El says it's nothing. And it took him years to repair his reputation after predicting Krypton's destruction when when Kal-El was a boy. So I Mm -hmm. like that. In both versions, it's like, yeah, that happened. That mm-hmm. he predicted Krypton was going to blow, and it didn't. And then, but he's not the bitter nut job that the I comic book Jor-El became. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, blink, or I guess it's not blink because it's your ears, but if you're not paying attention. You'll miss one line that's coming from Jor-El, but is spoken by Paul Kent actor and Rob Kelly's personal friend and mash star, Mike Farrell. Huh. So Mike Farrell has one line. That's why he's listed. So Clark's Superman's conflating his two fathers together, right? Which is another thing that pulls him out of it for a minute. Like, wait a minute that that sounded like my other dad, who I don't know, you know, right? You know, which is kind of surprising in some ways that 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 uh, 
that this version of Superman's on Krypton at all, if you think about it. Mm. I mean, so, you know, in some way, obviously it makes a more compelling story than if he's just living on the farm with mm-hmm. Mom and Pa Kent. But as I said, you know, the post-crisis version of Superman, almost every version in media following that is more Clark Kent than mm-hmm. Kal-El. But it, you know, this makes a much better story. Uh, while Batman is beginning to have some luck loosening the Black Mercy, Wonder Woman is getting trashed by Mongol. I mean, it's really brutal. It is. I mean, like, he picks her up by her head. I know. I mean, just slings her around. I, I know we say this all the time, but I'm really surprised I got away with this level of violence. I mean, he beats the tar out of her. I mean, later on, she's crawling. Like, she's pulling herself with one arm mm-hmm. into the part of the fortress where Batman is. Mm-hmm. And she looks like she's, like, broken the other arm or yeah. something. Because she's, like, holding it under her chest as she's pulling. I mean, it's like, whoa. Batman pulls the plant loose, and we cut back to Superman's vision and get the gut punch of the oh. episode. Oh. On the roof of Jor-El's lab, Cal realizes everything he knows is wrong. He confides in Van that although he watched his first steps, that you know the happiest day of his life was the day he was born. He saw every event of his life. None of it's real. Yeah. I mean, oh. The scene between those two, it, I mean, it's truly moving. When Van looks up at him and says, Daddy. It just, oh. oh. I mean, it, it gets me every time. Yeah. It just, it, it's, oh. Uh, Krypton starts to explode around him, and Clark, I'm sorry, Cal, vows to never forget the life he had. So, I mean, just, wow. Ooh. Uh, as much as I love that, I mean, that's pretty similar to the comic. Uh, Demetrius's best contribution to this story, in my opinion, is Batman's fantasy in The Black Mercy. In the comic, we see Thomas Wayne stopping Joe Chill, and then that's all we see, and then later Batman says he was married to Kathy Kane, etc. So a very Silver Age fantasy for Batman. Right. Here, Thomas disarms Chill and beats him for all eternity while Bruce cheers on. That is a wonderful look into Batman's arrested development. Because, I mean, you saw, he's stuck in that one moment. In the comic, he moves on past it, but yeah. in here, he's still, you know, stuck yeah. at that point. Yeah, and it's brilliant. Although it does, you know, it, if you think about it, the episode... Um, Animated series episode, Dreams in Darkness. Yes, yes. When Mad Hatter does pretty much the same thing to Batman. Mm-hmm. He, his parents are alive, and he's grown up, and he's getting ready to marry Selena Kyle. Right, right. So that's kind of that's kind of an interesting, like, okay, that, like, it, like the original Batman animated series version of Batman was a little more better adjusted uh-huh. than the Batman we got right now. Maybe the years of... Crime fighting, you know, have kind of taken their toll on him or something, you know, if you, right. if you want to look at it that way. But I think that's, that's just, just brilliant. And I love the fact that Kevin Conroy is a guy that voices Joe Chill mm-hmm. because that's a nice little, like, circle, like, that, that kind of weird, like, they touch on that in the dark night that Gotham, that Batman created himself. In mm-hmm. some ways, you know, like it's that, it's that destiny that, you know, that, that kind of, that, that, that there's different, there's different iterations of the Batman where they've, 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 you know, kind of stressed like, you know, that was predestined for mm-hmm. what happened. And I mean, that, the fact that he's the voice is like, just, it fits, but it, it's, it's weird, but it works. I do miss Superman screaming Mongol, like that l- awesome panel where he's. Right, it's up th- Top and bottom. Yeah, you it's know, like the, it's Mongo the, in the background. It's, yes, it's not a word balloon. It's the background. And, and it's knocking Jason 
Robin over mm-hmm. in the comic. I missed that. Uh, there was no Robin to knock over, but he could have knocked the unconscious Batman and parts of the fortress over. Right. And then taken off. But the, the pan they do where he like, it got, like the camera moves around him and he like takes off. Mm-hmm. That's pretty sweet too. You can tell Superman is out of his mind because he just attacks Mongol and doesn't seem to be at all concerned about the very injured Wonder Woman. I know. That he knocked him off of. <laughs> also unexpected, they get in the infamous burn scene and Superman sets Mongol on fire. Mm-hmm. On, on fire. On fire. On screen on fire. fire. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do, I love George Newburn's delivery throughout this episode. I do, in the comic, though, I never imagined Superman said he in the in the animated series he goes in this episode he goes burn like that. But in the comic, he's got this his eyes are red. It's more like burn. You know, it's like he doesn't. There's no exclamation point. It's a period, and he's just like burn, and he just you know then he sets him on fire. <laughs> you know, it's like I think that's more like. Superman's lost his shit, you know, yeah. than, than even yelling, you yeah. know, because uh, he already yelled Mongol. But I mean, you know, it's, I'm getting all excited. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> when Wonder Woman pulls the Black Mercy off of Batman in his fantasy, young Bruce's face begins to turn from glee to horror as they zoom in on him. And you see the silhouette of Thomas and Joe Chill fighting or whoever mm-hmm. the killer is. I'm saying it's Joe Chill. Um, and then, you know, Wonder Woman's yelling Bruce, Mm -hmm. and then you see a white flash and hear a bang as she pulls the Black Mercy off. That is like, it's expertly directed. Yes. The timing, and of course they, just like they've always done on the animated series, they can't show, you know, Bruce's parents, like, being shot on screen, obviously. Mm Mm-hmm. It's much more effective that they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like they couldn't show Dick's parents falling from the trapeze. They show their silhouettes, and then they show the trapeze, trapeze swing back. Mm-hmm. The trapeze swing back, yeah. It's it's really Dan Ribba, great job. It's really well done. <laughs> and the storyboard artist, great job. Uh, yeah. That shot of Wonder Woman holding the Black Mercy above her with its very phallic tongue coming at her. Woo! I mean, that's... Ugh. It looks like something straight out of Alien. I know, and it takes up the whole screen, and you're yeah. like, Ugh. Yeah, it's like, she's like dodging her head around it, and mm-hmm. it's like moving her head as it's coming at her, yeah. Ooh. Uh, I miss Robin, but Wonder Woman's role is stronger in this version, and she's one of our main cast, so it makes perfect sense. It does, it does. Yeah. I'm sure you appreciate that she got to... Uh-huh. ...to get the big save moment, yeah. Before Wonder Woman drops the Black Mercy on Mongol, his face already looks like two pounds of kneaded dough with some teeth poking out. So Superman jacked him up. Yeah. <laughs> he jacked he him. He beat the tar out of him. He beat the hell out of him. He did, yeah. After they drop the Black Mercy on Mongol, Superman looks up at the statues of his parents and says, I promise, I'll never forget. This is, like I said, this is more poignant for this Superman because he's, again, less connected to Krypton. Right. I think now he's more connected to Krypton than he was before. Right. Because, you know, he's, I mean, he's seen the hologram that come in the little thing, the box and everything. Well, it kind of reminds me of the Star Trek episode where Picard lives the life of that old man. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he lives the life of that old man in the course of what, was it like five minutes or something like yeah. that? Yeah. And, I mean, that's what it puts me in mind of, you know, Picard and Superman both go on about their life, but they have the, those memories always. That's, oh, man, that's great. That was a great, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's. 
Yeah, that's great. And he has the flute, and he, he plays it at the end. He, yeah. he knows how to play it now yeah. from the memory and everything. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. We don't see what Mongol sees here, but in the comics and some very descriptive captions, we learn he beheaded Superman and carried it on a pike as he conquered the Earth. On the last page, we see characters like Brainiac, Adam Strange, and Martian Manhunter in line to bow before him. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so which version do you prefer, like having read the comic and watched the, the animated so The animated series. Yeah. I, I do. I mean, this, this is a solid comic. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But, like I said, because his life on Krypton was more idyllic, to me that would have been harder to pull out of. I agree. And yeah. it was a harder pull. Yeah. I mean, this one, you know, it, that he wasn't... Yes, he was giving up his Kryptonian life, but in the animated version, he was giving up his life. Right. You know? Right, yeah. I wouldn't want the comic story changed, really, but this adaptation, it keeps the essence of the story, and in the time allowed, it perfectly synthesizes what could work in that time. And like you said, ejecting all the political subplots on Krypton makes the emotional goodbye to Van into this life Mm -hmm. all the more heart-wrenching, because it is... It is what he always wanted. I mean, I can't really think that Krypton was, you know. Right. Um, it was too... And I think that was more just getting at he never... It, to me, in some ways, that makes Superman stronger mm-hmm. because he's not succumbed to it completely. He won't give in to the fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, so Krypton's not perfect. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't know. It, it's it's. But I, on the other hand, he get, gives up his heart's desire to... Follow through on his responsibilities. Right, right. So, yeah, exactly. I, I think this it, it makes it makes the it makes the the sacrifice more heroic because he's not duped. You know, he I mean because he is duped completely because mm-hmm. he is duped completely. So, uh, getting to our superlatives, power action feature for power action feature. Uh, I don't know. Do you give it to Wonder Woman for dropping the Black Mercy and? Especially after all she went through, or do you give it to Superman for coming at Mongol? And then, of course, the burn scene. What do you think? Wonder Woman, and not because she dropped the Black Mercy, because she crawled to Batman after she had the crap knocked out of her. Mm. That's why. Okay. Well, that's a good point. Well, let's go with that. That's good. Rotating chairperson. Rotating chairperson. I think this is this is Superman's story. George Newburn does a wonderful job in it. I think he deserves it. I think, and I, and I've said this before, and this is not, I like Tim Daly. I think he was great on Superman animated series, but I've said this before. I don't, I never, even in like Apocalypse Now and Legacy that were very emotional episodes, I don't think that Tim Daly's take on Superman was quite emotional enough to put over what George Newbern did here. Mm hmm. I, I think that, yeah. I think he allowed the character to be more vulnerable, to emote more, mm-hmm. and I think this works perfectly here. Justice League communicator. Justice League communicator. I think it's got to be that speech. Oh yeah, no Van. contest, no yeah. contest at all. That's one of the most touching moments in all of the DCAU. Uh, so it, I think it has to be it. Yeah. Comic connections. For Comic Connection, obviously, you don't get more connected than no, this. <laughs> uh-uh. This is a great adaptation of a great comic. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it, yeah, obviously, this is, a, <laughs> there's some comic connections here. Electricity is evil. 
electricity is evil. I think this is two episodes in a row. It is. With no electrical shock. We, we may have to retire this category like we did Not So Superman and Magic Mace Meter. I think we're gonna. I mean, episodes like this leave that Not So Superman in the dust. Uh-huh. It's, uh, so remember when we used to gripe about that all the time? Uh, no. <laughs> they very unnerved him. Yeah. <laughs> they did, they, 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 they Yeah. Oh, man. We probably should mention that Mattel made a Superman animated figure in the Justice League Unlimited line. That came with the Black Mercy. Yes. And you can, you know, wrap the tendrils around his neck and around his waist. And I mean, it just, it looks like it's just right on him. Yeah. The only thing I don't, I wish is that they, you know, it was more than just one color. Yeah. You know, I mean, I understand because it was, you know, a financial decision to make it one color, but it would have been cool if it had some color to it, you know. I think it came in a three pack with Wonder Woman and Batman, I think the Superman did. Which, I don't know. I can't remember. Which makes sense. Although sometimes they'd have random mm-hmm. characters. Yeah. You know, random pairings. Random pairings. But yeah, so it's, so yeah, if, if, uh, if you're ever looking, you know, in a at a flea market or something, and and you're, you know, there's odd little accessory bits floating around, mm-hmm. and you come across something that, hey, that kind of looks like the Black Mercy. It is, yeah. <laughs> so it's really cool that they made that. But you know, it makes me think. Now we haven't got to this, uh, but we again, we probably will by the end of the season. That poor Superman, they did this. And they also made a figure of Superman Beyond from the Batman Beyond era that has the Starro on him. Right. Because that's the whole thing with that episode is that Superman's taken over. taken over. Taken over by Starro. Yeah, yeah. So, poor Superman. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder Batman's got all those uh, protocols in place. <laughs> Not, um, you know, yeah. This is one of the best half hours in all the DCAU. You have a classic comic by a legendary creative team. Adapted by another legendary comic writer, J.M.D. Mateus. You have DCAU veteran Dan Ribba directing. The always excellent voice cast seemed to know this was an extra special story they could sink their teeth into, especially George Newbern. If you haven't seen this one in a while, go rewatch it right now. Yeah. <laughs> what are you listening to us for? Go rewatch that episode right now. <laughs> but first, we have to give our thank yous out before right. you rewatch. Right, right. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters for information on how you can support the Fire Water Podcast Network. Visit patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Extra special thanks to Jorge Luis Castillo, Matt Ryan, and Neil Whitney for specifically supporting JLU Cast. Uh, we won't send you a Black Mercy through the mail. But, no, you know, no, no. No, we're not going to do that. But, hey, I forgot to mention that it was really cool that I meant to put this in the notes, but when Van is in Joel's laboratory, he's looking at his different specimens in the Black Mercy is in one of the tubes. I saw that. And Superman yeah. looks at it like, what? Wait a minute. What? So that's another thing where he's trying to yeah. come out of it. So I know. I'm jumping. I can't quit talking about this episode. Sorry. <laughs> uh, come back next time as we discuss an episode with some very interesting stunt casting featuring Hawk and Dove. See you then. Bye. Bye. JLU Cast is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide and is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders, and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue Mommy and Daddy. Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at firewaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast 
Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLUCast. What's... what's the matter? Why are you... Van, when you were born, it was the happiest day of my life. When I first saw your beautiful little face, your tiny fingers squeezed my hand so tight, like you never wanted to let go. I've watched every step, every struggle. I've... But Van, I... Rao, help me. But I don't think you're real. I don't think any of this is real. Don't say that, Daddy. Please, you're scaring me. No, no. I don't want to scare you, Van. You are everything I ever wanted in a son. This... This is everything I ever wanted in a life. But I've got responsibilities, Van. And I have to go now. I promise you, I'll never forget. <laughs> <laughs>